HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you Welcome back to The Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Gentlemen. Happy New Year, guys. Happy 2021. Happy Holy cow, we made it. <laughs> we did we it. Did. Also, we made it to 10 years, guys. Today is our 10-year anniversary show. Woo! Uh, so, yeah. I, you know, it was funny because last year, uh, with all the other shit showy things that were happening, I thought last year was 10 years. <laughs> So I had I was like planning some big party, uh, and then I realized uh, it was the nine year, and that's not really a milestone, I guess. I, I guess every year you make it is a milestone, but uh, but I'm glad we actually made it to ten years. So, <laughs> Happy uh, second consecutive ten year anniversary, Damon. Yeah, yeah. thanks, thanks. <laughs> uh, year. Ten, ten years and holding. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, pretty amazing. Also, you know, just to look back at the archive of shows that have been on, uh, guests that we've had. Uh, like the the journey that this show has made, and and frankly our industry as a whole, uh, the past ten years I think have been pretty, uh, you know, sort of, sort of the skyrocketing. Uh, I think the quote unquote cocktail revolution that we talk about all the time has been going on for about twenty, maybe a little bit more. Um, so that last ten years are, are just when it's just like really kind of, you know, blasted into the stratosphere. I, I'm pretty stoked to have been you know part of all this, and and of course being in the business itself. Yeah, it's like the. Uh the last 10 years were like that part, that middle part uh, in Bohemian Rhapsody where it starts getting really crazy, uh, yeah. like the, the opera part. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's that's what it was. Uh, so then uh, I guess the next 10 years will be where it, it starts rocking out. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if my analogies are working today. <clears throat> it's a little earlier here on the West Coast. But um, but yeah, I mean, like it was cool. Like the last year, <laughs> the, the, last, the last episode we had, we talked about the the previous 10 years of uh, the cocktail world and spirits world. And I think it's interesting to kind of forecast what's going on, what we think is going to happen, you know, in the next 10 years or even next year. I mean, like right now we're in such a strange period, you know, with, you know, a lot of places are closing or, or even if they are open, you know, we're looking at very abbreviated selections and, and service styles. So it's, you know, 
I hate to say nowhere to go but up, but because you know we're not through this yet, but it's it's still exciting. I mean, even just seeing how people have pivoted their business models to accommodate the the times has been very interesting. I know Souther, you're you are a cobbler, aren't you? Like, <laughs> yeah. are you to, are you <laughs> have your own shoes now? Or something? I'm a shoemaker. Yeah. I, uh, I've uh, you know generated a puzzle. Of course, you know we've we've now built an actual storefront, so we're a store that sells. Uh, you know, drinks and, and spirits and barware. And, yeah, it's been a, a tumultuous, um, gosh, are we at 11 months now, 10 months? Holy smoke, it's crazy. Um, it's been tumultuous, uh, quite a wild ride. You really, uh, you have to dig deep and, and figure out, you know, I guess the world really shows you what your metal is. Um, yeah. And, and there's a lot of in- introspection. Um, but, uh, you know, happy to still be here uh you know in whatever capacity that we are um and you know i keep saying to people you know there's there's highs and lows and I, i'm certainly you know I'm, I'm not afraid to admit that i i suffer from a lot of those sort of mental barriers that get in my way um but i think all throughout um the past year um my internal monologue and and what i say to people on the outside when i'm having better days is if i'm gonna go down i'm gonna go down swinging so you know that's, that's been right. that's been sort of our ethos uh, all throughout this, uh, we're fighting for 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 survival, and we're not going to stop fighting until there's literally no breath left in us. So, uh, at this point, it looks like we're going to get through this thing. But then, when we get through it, it's a matter of basically starting over. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not going to be it's not going to be reopening. It's going to be kind of like grand opening. Sure, exactly. Well, I have uh, I I have also delved into the the fashion world, Southern, um, recently. Oh yeah. So. I now am a collaborator with uh, one of my favorite shops uh, called Epaulette. Um, I actually have my own uh, Damon Bolte X Epaulette uh, cosmic Thunderbird tie dye sweatpants. So, um, <laughs> that's I didn't think the last word in that sentence was going to be yeah. sweatpants. It was all tracking until sweatpants. Right? Yeah. No, but I mean, think about that. You know, like I, I've I've worked with this this brand, this clothing brand. Uh, they're based out of Brooklyn now, now California, uh, but you know, they make they've been making suits and shirts. You know, this this is kind of a testament to where, like, kind of what we were talking about with the last ten years. So, like, a lot of the features, like the the first time I was in GQ, everything I was wearing was from that shop. Right, humble, the humble, humble, <clears throat> humble brag. The first time I was in GQ. <laughs> well, come on. <laughs> yeah, man, come on. Yeah. A lot can happen in 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the thing is, like, it's funny because, like, a lot of those magazine features and books, like, placements and stuff like that, like, I'm wearing stuff from that shop. And it's, like, suits and ties and vests and, you know, waistcoats and stuff like that. But then, you know, now that same company I'm doing <laughs> tie-dye sweatpant with. So, it kind of, it's kind of like a, a sign of the times, right? It's, like, how things have shifted in not only the bar world, but, like, in, in the world in general. Like, we... We're, we're doing, there's nothing to get dressed up for. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's a sweatpants. So when you're on your Zoom meetings, no one needs to know that you're not wearing actual, like, pants. If you're right. wearing <laughs> pants at all. Right. Uh, so it's just a, kind of a fun sign of the times. But anyway, we, they're, they're pretty sweet. They're already almost sold out, by the way. I, <laughs> get get I, your uh, pairs now, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. Get, <laughs> but, we'll, get, we'll get that link up in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We should. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's speaking of like just things being a little different you know like, 
it's been interesting not only to see the way obviously that the cocktail world has changed and progressed throughout the the past decade but spirits obviously are the baseline of that and i'm really excited to have our guest on the show today because the the kind of modern style of distillation that is involved with this we've been talking about getting uh dave on the show for i've been talking with his people for like a, a year or two now i guess uh so it's it's great to finally have him uh in the studio uh the virtual studio that is and uh, <laughs> and, and i'm really happy to drink some whiskey at 9 a.m in california so hey greg why don't you uh, introduce our guest today yeah, absolutely. So today joining us in the studio, we have David Vitali of Starward Whiskey in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Damon. So nice to be here. It has been a while, but um, I think I was holding out for the 10th anniversary. Oh, nice. I figured that was the case. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for... Uh, are you getting up this early or are you uh, staying up this late for us? Because it's nearly, what, 4.30 in the morning there, eh? Well, I'll, um, I'll let you in on a little secret. I actually moved to the United States um, at the beginning of 2019 to kind of help get the brand going over here. So it's, nice. um, yeah, West Coast time. So I'm, it's good. Oh, so you're, you're on my coast. Uh-huh, in Seattle. Oh, right okay, on. cool. Oh, outstanding. Well, so, great. You can, now I don't feel so bad uh, for drinking <laughs> whiskey at 9 a.m. Great. No, I'm, I'm right here with you, buddy. I don't feel bad That's about great. drinking whiskey Cheers at any time. And speaking of that, uh, if we're going to drink some whiskey, and I damn straight we are, um, which uh, you, you sent, I got two that you sent me here, the Nova and the Twofold. Which one should I begin with on the show? Um, I begin with um, Twofold for a few reasons. I think it's a, like, um, a great all-rounder, and um, I do, you know, I kind of, in my master classes, talk about it as a breakfast whiskey. So given that it's... <laughs> Perfect. Nothing like morning, a breakfast whiskey. It's probably the right time. You know, a little on your um, oatmeal in the morning um, really gets you going. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ancient grains, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I moved to the United States two years ago to launch the brand, but we actually started the journey in 2007. So that's like coming up to 14 years in April where I had a um, bit of a moment. I was working at a distillery in Tasmania called the Lark Distillery. And um, they made amazing um, single malt whiskey. And I guess at that point, my, I, I, my aspirations for their business and their aspirations for their business were a little different. You know, I wanted to scale up and think about a global kind of um, opportunity for Australian whiskey and, and they were like look you know what we're going along really well and we just like kind of making sure that we've got enough for the for the people um, in our community in our whiskey community it's like okay that's fine and but we think it's a great idea and you should go and do it so with their support I kind of took the plunge and and set up the distillery um, and the thing that I guess got me into whiskey, in the first place and working at, at Lark was I'm actually a frustrated home brewer, you know, like, I mean, I've kind of established this business um, with millions of dollars of whiskey just because I like making beer, um, which is kind of a bit perverted, but, you know, obviously good beer doesn't travel well. And, you know, for us, we wanted to have something that um, we could take to the world that could kind of really talk 
to the place it's made like great whiskies do um both in terms of the ingredients that we use but also you know the culture of the place it's made you know in in melbourne yeah i mean let's talk about that yeah yeah, let's talk about that a little bit there aren't a lot of uh at least exports anyway there aren't a lot of whiskies coming out of uh australia in general why do you think that is and and, like uh, i know you, you have a a phrase that you use elemental maturation that that has to do with the wildly fluctuating weather there right yeah do you think it's just such a challenge for a whiskey maker to to produce in in such a volatile environment um i think you know we're still a young industry so um a lot of the producers have really you know um cash flowed their way to scale which is um extremely difficult to do um given that Um, a lot of the distillers just make whiskey. They're not like gin producers or doing other kind of production on the side. So just the ability to kind of scale up to a level where you can support domestic demand and then start to think about export markets and then um, jump through the, I wouldn't even call them hoops. It's almost like a tough mudder exercise to even start selling booze in the united states you know like razor oh, yeah. wire crawling through mud and like you know <laughs> yeah it's an I endurance mean, just to kind of turn up right from i a mean that, that, point i think that has to do with the fact that you know again we talk about this all the time how the federal government uh, in its uh, lack of wisdom after prohibition allowed every state to govern how the sale and consumption of alcohol is used in in their state and even county by county. So yeah, you're right. It's a it's a it's a minefield that's full of challenges that are unforeseen. You feel like you've got the system down, and then you move to the next place, and it's completely different. Yeah, it's like, it's like way, trying to deal. You know, with, it's trying to deal with fifty countries. One hundred percent. I think it has more in common with the EU. Um, you, you know, the United States has more in common with the EU than perhaps um, we'd all like to admit. You know, just in terms of that, you know, common currency you know, central government, sort of big policies, but then state to state, it's like very, very, very different cultures and different places, which I love, you know, like it's for me, um, you know, it's very cliche, but it's a dream come true. Here I am, you know, talking to you guys about um, an Australian whiskey and um, getting out into different markets is always a lot of fun because, in as much as they're different cultures and, you know, Australian culture is very different to American culture, there's always something that connects the two. And, you know, usually for me, that's food. You know, like I think, um, you know, Melbourne's kind of got a famed uh, foodie um, credential, you know, like it's one of the foodie capitals of the world. And and so, you know, going into different places and looking at um, the, the food culture is always a lot of fun, whether it's sort of, um, generations of tradition that sort of have, have kind of um, have evolved or whether it's, you know, new waves of migrants kind of bringing a new flavor to flavor to the, um, to the scene. You know, both of them are really exciting for me because it's all new, you know? Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit because <clears throat> you mentioned when we were talking a little bit uh, before the show that this, you know, this venture is very, very uh, driven by a sense of place and a real love that you have that I can hear when you talk about Melbourne and kind of the, you know, the the pride that it has in being, I think the way you put it is like good food without a lot of stuffiness. And 
It was really interesting to hear you say that you were a frustrated home brewer because I know a lot of frustrated home brewers and not one of them has said, oh, I can't get this right. I'm going to try and do something that's much more difficult, both chemically <laughs> and then to sell later. So yeah. talk a little bit about your, your journey and sort of how the sense of place from your hometown kind of informed that a little bit. Yeah, look, I mean, um, yeah, as I said, Melbourne's just such a, an amazing city. And, you know, we can talk about climate later on because I think it's a really important aspect to why this whiskey can only come from one place. But, um, you know, I come from a you know, family that migrated from Sicily. So my parents are Sicilian, and uh, but I was born in Australia. And obviously, you know, big Italian families get together for the big holidays and um, food's a central part of that. And I think it's also, you know, we touched on it before, like um, I grew up with um, Italian friends, Vietnamese friends, uh, Greek friends, uh, Lebanese friends. That that era from, you know, from the late 50s right through to the, um, well, to now, you know, like there's a lot of African migration now happening had a profound influ- you know impact on the diversity of the city obviously but more 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 than that it had a huge impact on the food scene and so um it's just to to me if we're talking about a whiskey from the place it's made of course ingredients play into that but culture is such an important part of that and food is such an important part of Melbourne's identity that for us we just felt like we'd be doing Melbourne and the great restaurants of the city a disservice if we didn't craft a whiskey that could kind of sit at the table um, and um, be versatile enough to work with cocktails and food. You know, so that's kind of been the the genesis of this is that, you know, um, if I'm not bringing, bringing beer to the to the um, big Vitali family dinners then um, and, and lunches at Christmas, then... Um, I bet sure better have a whiskey that could stand up in a cocktail to be versatile enough to make um, great drinks for them, you know, in that fashion. Absolutely. I love I love that you're talking about food being a very important part of these gatherings. I mean, like to me, you know, when someone asks me when I order a, a martini and they ask me how I want it garnished, and I say with, with a dozen oysters, you know. So like, you know, <laughs> especially like coming from Sicily, you know, that's I, I used to run a, a, the bar programs for this restaurant group, Frankie's. Spuntino in Brooklyn and you know it's all about the the kind of like family vibes and big meals and that to me has really changed the way that 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 I enjoy myself uh in day to day you know I'm drinking whiskey 9 a.m right now you know of course but uh <laughs> but I've got some snacks in front of me too but I think you know for me looking at the looking at these whiskeys and kind of like the way that you talked about getting started with with the uh, the twofold you know, to me, it's it is about that kind of communal vibe. You said like bringing this whiskey to the table to a dinner and sharing it. You know, there's a note here too that says a delicious a delicious whiskey for sharing and mixing, and not reserved for special occasions. I think that's really important to note. <laughs> not reserved for special occasions. That's really cool because like you know, Southern and I talk about this all the time. He says I'm a consumer, not a collector, and you know that's you know I feel like the first time I got a, a bottle of Starward, I I held on to it and like it was one of those things that was like a cool kind of hard to get whiskey. So I kind of hoarded it, you know, cause I wasn't sure when I would see it again, like I do with like Havana club rums and things like that. But I, I like that you just came out and said it, you know, this is meant to be consumed. 
That's really yeah, cool. yeah. It's the you know it's the sharing cabinet whiskey, not the special occasion cabinet. You know, um, I, we've got plenty of those. You know, like and um, to me, just getting back to like that ambition of like, well, I, I want to take something to the world. I want I want some. You know, I want the rest of the world to see how great Australian whiskey is. And you know, I'm not Robinson Caruso in this. There's you know, tens of tens of whiskey distillers. They just don't have enough inventory to export. You know, that's the challenge. Um, but they're all making amazing whiskey. Um, and it's important for me that the world knows that, you know. And so so if I was planning to do that, then coming out with a $150, US dollar, you know, single malt, single cast whiskey is our prime example of how great whiskey is, is going to really narrow down the audience for that. And... Um, like it, it doesn't achieve the purpose you know so for me it was always about we're gonna to have to scale up we're gonna to have to find a way of you know um making enough delicious whiskey that kind of sets it apart from those other whiskies in the sharing cabinet because let's face it uh, you know once you start to get into that i'm going to have one or two different versions of the same thing in my cabinet um, across five different styles. So maybe 10 or 12 bottles of whiskey in that sharing cabinet. That's a pretty tight um, space to elbow some some space into to, to, to say, hey, there should be a spot for an Australian whiskey here. Now, obviously being Australian, we're just gonna elbow our way in anyway, but like, um, <laughs> you know, like for me, it was like, okay, well, if we wanna be in that sharing cabinet, we better stand for something that's really different to what's already there because otherwise why bother? And, you know, a lot of the older um, Australian whiskey distillers were anchored in a really um, Scotch whiskey single malt mindset to the point at which one of them said, you know, we make Australian whiskey in the finest of Scottish traditions. And I'm sort of talking to the distiller going, this whiskey's amazing, but like, if you're propositioning your customers saying we're as good as Scotch whiskey, then they're just going to buy the Scotch, you know, like, and, and so you're doing, you're doing Scotch a disservice because you can't out Scotch sots, but more importantly, you're doing yourself a disservice because there's so much more to what you're doing than just, you know, using the finest of Scottish traditions to make your whiskey. And so that was always in the back of my mind that we've got to have permission to be in that sharing cabinet. And the reason we get it is putting taste to one side because that's always a little subjective is that it's got to stand for something as distinctive as peated whiskey does for scotch whiskey and you know rye does for you know a high rye content bourbon does for for american whiskey you know yeah well i mean so far it seems to me you're pretty much kicking ass right uh we're i'm sipping right now on the twofold which won us gold at san francisco world spirits in 2020 and was also uh, best Australian blended whiskey for both 2019 and 2020, right? So you've come on strong and you're kicking ass. Um, this seems like a good spot to take a break. Uh, we'll come right back and keep talking to David Vitale uh, from Starward Whiskey in Melbourne, Australia. Stand by. My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. 
As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. And we're back. You're listening to The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. And in the studio today, we have Dave Vitale from Starward Whiskey out of Australia. I, I, got, I have one question for you, Dave. Why Seattle? Uh, love. <laughs> it's that simple. Like, um, my wife actually was born in Australia to American parents. And um, she moved back to the United States, to the Pacific Northwest, and, you know, in the Seattle area, um, when she was about 10 or 11. And um, we, she came on a working holiday to Australia. We met um, within about a week. And then I did promise her mum that I'd bring her back one day. So oh, wow. um, there's another reason why I set up a distillery is to give myself a job to do when I, when I did bring her back. So, yeah, it's um, been great actually having them so close by. Obviously, the last 12 months have been a bit more complicated. But, you know, just sort of um, helicoptering in or parachuting into a new place with a, an established sort of family networks, a uh, huge, huge, huge advantage. Sure. Yeah. In Seattle, Portland, that whole area is really cool. Wow, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's interesting to, to me, it's like a, a lot of people who come into the United States, they usually go to LA or New York. So I think it's cool that you chose uh, kind of a different path, but it was already kind of laid out for you. Uh, it was. Sense. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I have to say I've fallen and I thought I'd never kind of, you know, that Melbourne would always be my first love. And I, it, I guess it is, but like I've found out that I'm a bit more promiscuous when it comes to like um, my um, love interests in cities, you know. So like this is definitely a place I've fallen in love with and a beautiful, like just such a beautiful place to come home to um, when I'm traveling on the road. So yeah, Seattle's great. And, you know, the culture here is probably most Melbourne-like of all of the cities in the United States, just in terms of that, um, yeah, the 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 food scene and, and the coffee culture. Yeah, and, I was about um, to say, that the cafe people. and coffee culture is a big thing, right? Yeah, I mean, just trying to explain to, um, you know, people, Seattle baristas that actually the best coffee comes from Melbourne is often met with a bit of disdain but like um <laughs> those that know respect it which is good that's a that's a brave mission to undertake yeah <laughs> Go, going like, up to I a seattle barista and being like well actually <laughs> yeah let me tell you how to make a coffee yeah <laughs> uh well let's well let's talk a little bit because before the break we were talking a little bit about um melbourne and sort of how the the culture of that place really informed these whiskeys and kind of what you wanted them to to be for in a way, you know, how you wanted them to not be, you know, this thing that you would put up on a pedestal, but that you could enjoy with everybody in your life for any occasion, whether it's a special one or just, you know, I felt like having a nice dinner on a Tuesday. But there's also so much that's really interesting about the culture, uh, uh, you know, the not the culture, um, 
the environment of Melbourne and uh, the general uh, proximity that it has to so much Australian wine and also just kind of the climate that really informs these whiskeys. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so we've got, you know, um, within a day's drive of um, the city of Melbourne, um, 95% of red wine production um, that, that occurs in Australia happens from that sort of pocket, the southeast Australian pocket of um, of, of um, Australia that, um, you know, the likes of, you know, regions like the Barossa Valley, Coonawarra, you know, so Barossa's big on Shiraz, Coonawarra's Cab Sav, um, you know, an hour's drive from Melbourne, we have the Yarra Valley, which is cool climate Pinot. Um, and all of these winemakers obviously um, have um, a need for oak to kind of season age their their wine so that they sell it really well, right? Um, so there was kind of a little bit of a thought bubble there. It's like, well, why would we import bourbon barrels from Kentucky or port or sherry barrels from Portugal or Spain when we can have um, these amazing wine barrels as a, as a source for flavor, um, both in terms of oak, but that previous use. So that's one kind of thread. The other is that, you know, with twofold, it's wheat and malted barley. So it's effectively a weeded whiskey that, that we're drinking. Um, uh, that's you know, the wheat and uh, barley grow in abundance, again, within a day's drive of the distillery. Um, so that was always a no-brainer for us in terms of just sourcing that local product to to um, create the mash bill for the whiskies. And then, um, to your point, climate. Um, Melbourne's famed for having four seasons in a day. So if you ever watch the Australian Formula One Grand Prix, which is in Melbourne, or the Australian Open, which is on... Um, um, shortly, uh, you'll notice the weather changes quite dramatically. Like, you know, our weather, weather people are, you know, professors in meteorology, like on, on, on TV, like they're just, um, trying to predict what's happening next. And, um, the reason for that is again, our location, you know, obviously we all know that the outback is a huge desert, which is in the center part of Australia, but we also have another desert to our South called Antarctica, and so depending on, <laughs> you know, depending on whether the wind's coming from the northwest, it's a hot, dry, oven-like wind. Um, but if it's coming from the southwest, it's quite humid, frigid, freezing wind. And those temperature shifts can happen quickly, like within 30 minutes. And we can have a, you know, a 40 degree Fahrenheit shift in temperature and then back again, you know, uh, two or three hours later. So it makes for quite a dramatic place to live, obviously, but, but um, in terms of aging whiskey, I think we've got the hardest working barrels in the world because they just always are expanding and contracting. And, and you know, the, the great thing about that is that, you know, we have, um, um, you know, an, a natural environment where age is less of a less of a predictor of quality than it would be, say, for example, in um, the highlands of Scotland or um, you know high altitude places where that where, where it might be dry and and cold. Yeah, because the weather the weather in Scotland is is fairly predictable. Like if it's sunny in Glasgow, people lose their freaking minds. But yeah, I imagine the the barrels have a lot of 
you know, like you said, they they they're hard working because there's so much of the character of them that's getting uh, compressed into the whiskey over a, a comparatively short amount of time. And speaking of your whiskey, uh, I'm done with the twofold, and I'm about to crack open this Nova. Uh, would you mind telling me a little bit about this? Are you yeah, drinking so, a bottle? Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you not? <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah, I guess I have. <laughs> so, so Nova is. Um, so it, uh, we mentioned before that twofolds are double grain, so it's wheat, uh, wheated whiskey. So sixty percent um, wheat spirit, which is separately distilled and aged in red wine barrels, and then forty percent um, single malt whiskey um, that's aged and uh, you know separately distilled and aged in wine barrels. So what we're drinking now in Nova is that 40% component that goes into twofold. Um, and it's a single malt whiskey. It's, um, you know, I guess, uh, has a lot of complexity to it, but the trick that we wanted to kind of capture in, in this notion of being accessible, versatile, and, um, something that might well be someone's first taste of um, not just Australian whiskey, but whiskies from around the world, you know, not Scotch, not bourbon, not Irish whiskey was that, you know, that it had depth and complexity, but without that poke you in the eyes intensity that some, you know, some of those single malt whiskies can give you. So lots of, you know, and, and this is probably a great point to top, stop and talk about also the barrels that we're using, these red wine barrels. So... That proximity to, to wineries is a huge advantage because um, all of these barrels are filled wet. So it's a full aging in red wine barrels, not a finish. And basically wine goes out, they get transported to the distillery and then whiskey goes in, you know. Um, so that's a really beautiful thing. And, you know, we kind of bet the farm on this process what... Uh, eight, nine years ago. Um, I didn't know it was going to work. It was kind of, um, had an opportunity to source some barrels from an amazing winery called Yolumba. And, um, uh, they were too good to pass up, but what, what it did mean was because they were wet, either I filled them or they were just going to turn and, and, um, not be all that great. They, they, uh, taint the, the wine would taint the barrel. So it just meant that I needed to fill every last drop of, um, immature spirit that I had in these barrels and then hope that at the other end we'd have a product that um, tasted good and fortunately for me it worked out really well <laughs> I mean a pretty big gamble but based on your, your knowledge and experience you, you know you kind of had a hypothesis that you knew what was going to come out right right we were we were experimenting with wine from day one um, with wine barrels but the big shift was this um wet fill process that really there was no evidence in in the market that people you know that you'd certainly do um you transfer barrels that are, uh, transfer whiskey that have been aged for a while into wet barrels but not from the beginning typically they're shaved toasted and recharged so um yeah it was a big bet um but we we made it and i think the key thing is that what it does for the whiskey is give it um, a beautiful kind of fruit character profile that's different to whether you know different obviously to, to those fruit notes that you get from sherry or or even the fruit characteristics you have in in, in um, spirit the white dog um, those berries and um, 
creamy nut kind of characters. Um, but also because we're sourcing these wine barrels um, from winemakers, they're just a step up. You know, on the cheap side, a winemaker's spending two or $3,000 for a single barrel. Um, that's an empty oak barrel. Um, and you know, on the cheap side at a bourbon or normal whiskey distillery, they're probably spending about two or $300. So the quality of oak that we have access to means that we get more chocolate, spice, sort of like the vanillin kind of characteristics coming through as well, which is pretty, um, pretty special. And of course that texture, you know, um, that wine has that mid palate, um, sort of grippiness which is gives it a beautiful um amount of length as well so a may you know obviously um if a whiskey aged in red wine barrels can't make a decent manhattan then we might as well shut the gates but <laughs> you know it's kind of funny because every time i walk you know when, when i was sort of on the road you know walk into a bar and say you know you should really think about using our whiskey for a manhattan they'd go yeah you and every other craft distiller walks in here and says you should use our whiskey for a Manhattan. And it's like, yeah, but it's aged in wine. I was like, yeah, actually, you've got a point, you know, and they yeah. give it a go and, and it's pretty outstanding. Right. It's like it got an automatic leg up in that category. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the cool thing about this too, I, I just want to point out, like this was actually the first bo- the first bottle of Star Wars that I got and I held on to for a long time because, so I, I had a lot of time to like sit with this and kind of ponder on it. I did, of course, you know, I, you know, it's you, you do the daiquiri test with a with a, a rum every time someone brings one in, and with a gin, you know, you make it a martini or gin and tonic. This, I, you know, obviously I went with the Manhattan, but like to me, this whiskey is so like it's so cool on its own, and I know that that's like obviously what you want to go for as a distiller, but like it has this kind of like vibrant zing to it that like it's it's almost like it's almost effervescent to me you know it, it's got like this brightness that like it kind of like dances on your t- on your tongue like like it it so to me i've always just like really enjoyed this on its own and to be honest with you like for me it's like these days i whenever i drink whiskey i always drink whiskey soda i drink highballs all the time like i like it's a really it's a bad scene in my house i mean like <laughs> like there's a lot of empty whiskey bottles and a lot of like crushed cans of lacroix and it, but it, you know, the, the thing with this one is that I like drinking on its own because it has like, it's like playful, you know, but it's also deep and rich. So I don't know. It's just like one of the coolest whiskeys that I've tried lately. And to me, it also doesn't like, I don't think about scotch when I think about this whiskey. So I think that's like a cool thing about these whiskeys. I mean, like the, the two vault to me tastes, tastes more like a kind of a traditional single malt. But this one has so much more depth and complexity to it that it kind of stands on its own uh, categorically. I think that's a really great thing for for you and for the category of Australian whiskey. So you can break away from those kind of like those easily kind of like snackable kind of like, you know, riffs on uh, different distillates and, and kind of like sales shops, you know? Yeah, and look, I think, um, you know, we're again, we're not Robinson Crusoe in that, right? Like there's, even in the United States, an amazing, um, you know, craft American uh, whiskey scene, single malt scene, you know, up here in Seattle, we've got Westland, um, Copperworks down in Portland, there's uh, Westwood, they're everywhere, right? Like, and um, I think, I think it's 
like uh, and then you know across the pond in Taiwan you've got Kavalan and milk and honey in Israel and you know uh, Europe's got a you know a fair few amazing world whiskies we've got Indian whiskey I think the time is right right like that people don't necessarily see um like they they understand that the intent of the distiller is not to imitate scotch whiskey but to kind of craft something that that um has a story to tell that's unique and of its own you know and um it's a lot easier today to have that conversation with drinkers than it was you know eight or eight years ago when we launched you know and and that's really exciting for me because i think that you know uh the world whiskey categories if we think about the next generation like is is going to be not just a side note but a, a real big part of of um the whiskey repertoire and the diversity that you get is just as you know it's really really exciting well, let's let's talk about that before we we wrap up here. I'm going to ask you to sort of look into the crystal ball a little bit and ask ask you what you think is going to happen in the next five to ten years with the world whiskey category because that's a name that I kind of hate because you never like you would never hear anybody talk about world food and it seems especially silly because like we've been talking about today with you and like I've talked about with every you know person I've ever met who's making whiskey not in America, Canada, Ireland, Scotland, or Japan, they're very focused on getting something that's unique to where they're making it. Wherever it is, their mission is kind of like, we want this to taste like something that could only be made here. So what do you think is going to happen with that category as you get more people stepping their game up and kind of changing the the shape of this category and getting people to recognize, oh, there are amazing whiskeys coming from Taiwan and India and Tasmania and, and places that I would have not associated with, you know, amazing single malt whiskey even five years ago. Mm, yeah. Oh, look, I think, I think, you know, and it's the same issue that we've all faced, right? Like um, just getting, you know, we need like, um, the Brazilian fan club, you know, the, you know, I'm talking about um, soccer now. Like, we need the Brazilian fan club with their Vuvuzelas to come out and sort of like champion <laughs> like the category. That's what we need, right? Like, it's just, you know, if you think about the um, incumbency of those other whiskies, that like we've got a big job to do. But I'm really, you know, encouraged if you think about Japanese whiskey and talking to a lot of retail buyers eight or nine years ago, you couldn't give it away, right? And look at it now. And so I think that we, we've got a lot to be optimistic about if we just continue to turn up and um, offer people a real difference. And, you know, it's never about quality, right? Like that's a hygiene factor. It's kind of like saying we'll beat Usain Bolt because we'll have, you know, we have legs. It's like, well, you need legs. We need quality, but it's not the reason why we'll win, right? It's really about setting ourselves apart and having having um a compelling kind of reason for people to make space in their sharing cabinet to put them in there and i'm really excited i think that that it exists you know um any of those countries i'd be happy to take the keys to those distilleries um as my own you know like they're making amazing whiskey and that you know they've got a great point of difference and yeah the future's really bright amen man well yeah, yeah absolutely I certainly agree after drinking some of this whiskey. I mean, damn, this is the rest of my day is looking bright. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, the rest of my week's looking bright. I'm, now that I understand what breakfast whiskey is, <laughs> I feel pretty good. 
<laughs> I'll have a bowl of this instead of instead of oatmeal. It's the most important drink of the day. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, well, David, if uh, if folks that are listening to this wanted to get in touch with you and um, look into grabbing some of your whiskey and sort of see what you're up to, where would they uh, be able to reach you on the socials? Yeah, so um, Starwood Whiskey, um, that's uh, without an E in the handle, so um, is probably the, you know, on Instagram and Facebook uh, are the, probably the easiest way. My Instagram handles, I am David Vitali. So you can look me up on that and, um, yeah, be happy to, would love to kind of do an in-person kind of, um, catch up and, and walk you through some of the interesting barrels that we use from those wineries to pick apart even more like the complexity that's in these bottles. Yeah. You just let us know when, and we'll bring bagels and, uh, cream cheese and... <laughs> sounds, sounds good. And I'll, um, I'll have to, um, design my own pair of sweatpants to, um, compliment it. Lounge around in the morning, drinking whiskey with you. That'd be great. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, that's it for the speakeasy this week. Check out heritage radio network for many more programs like this one and check out Starward whiskey. This is, again, this is one of my, one of my, recent favorite whiskeys uh that i've tried in, in in a very long time so thanks for producing it and thanks for being on the show today with us and uh i i, I look forward to uh seeing the bottom of this uh, this bottle so i can grab another one <laughs> thanks uh, david well until next week everyone cheers cheers buddy thank cheers. you so much thanks cheers. david so you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load Knows that country music's gonna save your soul The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues That's him It's gonna get you The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network Food radio supported by you For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long Subscribe to our newsletter Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fair, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please... Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.